0: We who are staying in the sanctuary are going to get to uh, jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today as we continue our series called Chasing the Wind, and we are exploring the ancient wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes as a kind of study on the futility and fulfillment in living life. It's interesting, I think, that today is Grad Sunday because the teacher is going to invite us to to look at uh, what we can actually know about the future. And as you're graduating and you're looking ahead to life and what is to come, of course, you naturally are focused on all the things that are possible in the future. And we are hopeful and excited for what God might do uh, and, and, and we might experience. And yet the teacher also wants us to always take wisdom and apply the reality of truth in our lives to modify our expectations so that we don't end up finding ourselves wondering, where is God in the midst of this? How could this happen to me? And I thought life was supposed to be easy. So the teacher wants to remind us again today that while being wise and righteous is always better, neither is a guarantee that life will work out the way we hope it is. It will. And so in that spirit, I want to invite you to pause with me one more time, and let's pray for our kids as they go to kids' worship, and also pray for God, spirit to speak to us through his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank, we thank you for this moment right now, for this day that the Lord has made. We pray that you will give us the the courage and the freedom and the wisdom to know how to rejoice and be glad in it. Because ultimately, God, we need the light of your word to shine into our hearts, to give us wisdom and insight on how to, to think about our lives here in this world so that we can understand your plans and your purposes and the gift that you desire to give us. So open our hearts to your word, open our minds to your spirit, and teach us again today what it means to be Jesus' true disciples. And we will praise you and thank you in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. If we're really honest with ourselves, wouldn't we say it's true that our natural desire is to avoid pain? Which really leads us to work at trying in many ways, I would suggest, to manage our future to the best of our ability to avoid pain at all possible costs. Which in turn leads us to be a people I want to suggest for us today and that I think the teacher or Kohelet or Ecclesiastes is going to invite us to consider as well in chapter 9, leads us to be a people who are given to making predictions, If you think about it, we are constantly seeking predictions about the future. How many times a day do you check your weather app on your phone? Or the current state of the stock market and how many ticks it's up or how many ticks it's down? Or the predictions about the housing market that just keeps seem to go up and up and up. Or the price of gasoline, or predictions about the next fashion trend so you know how to shop and what to buy, and so you can be in the in crowd, right? The next scientific discovery that's going to bring the utopia that we all hope for and that we know is possible in this world, or, or the outcome of the next election cycle that is already in the bag if you watch the news. We are constantly being bombarded in our society, in our culture, with predictions and prognostications about what the future holds. Why do you think this is? Because prediction implies control. And the reality is we worry about tomorrow. As human beings, we do everything in our power to try and prepare and to manage and control what tomorrow will bring. And if we can better predict what will happen and we have a better chance to control what happens, we have more confidence that somehow we can, we can deal with life, we can manage life. Somehow there's, there's a control that we have. And if you're good enough and you're smart enough and you work hard enough, you can make the life that you want for yourself. The problem that the teacher wants us to understand and that he's going to walk us through in a variety of ways in chapter 9 today, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. And the main point, the main takeaway for today from chapter 9 is that when we spend our time worrying about tomorrow, we fail to enjoy today. When we spend our time worrying about tomorrow, We fail to enjoy today. It's the ancient Old Testament wisdom that we all know and that we repeat. And I've even said it this morning in the prayer, right? This is the day that the Lord has made. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. This is the day. Right now, in this moment, let us rejoice and be glad in what we are experiencing right now, today. Because the reality is, no one truly knows what tomorrow may bring. We're going to work through verses 12, 1 through 12, as I said, and, and we're going to look at what the teacher has to say, and we're kind of going to try and unpack this ancient writing, which it tends to be a little bit more of a, of a poetic language with these proverbial or wisdom sayings, but then we want to learn how these sayings and this truth may apply to our lives and our relationships today. In verse 1, he begins, he says, So I reflected on all of this. He's looking at all of life lived under the sun, this side of heaven, what we all experience as human beings in life in this world. And it concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. The scholars suggest that this phrase love or hate is another way of just saying good or evil. No one knows whether you're going to experience love or hate, whether you're going to experience good or evil in your life. He's not saying that people will only experience one or the other. He's saying life is a mixed bag and you don't know what you're going to get. And whether you're good or or bad, whether you're righteous or you're wicked, we all experience the good and bad, the love and the hate of life in this world. You can't escape the reality that that's part of what it means to live in a broken and a fallen world. Because in verse 2, he goes on to say, all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, ritually speaking. Those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. See, under the sun, on this side of heaven, the same destiny awaits every person. We say this over and over again here at Faith Covenant Church, right? The statistics on death are fairly compelling. One out of every one person dies. (laughs) Being good, keeping your nose clean, participating in worship on Sunday morning or not, doesn't change the harsh reality that the same end awaits every one of us. He goes on in verse two to say, as it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. See, being a good person doesn't mean that you get to bypass the grave. Being a person of integrity, which means that you're not afraid to take an oath on your word because you're committed to following through on what you say, let your yes be yes and your no be no, uh, doesn't mean that you get special favors at the end of life. In verse three he goes on to say, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Or a better translation would be, this is the misery in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. You see this word in Hebrew for evil, it has a a connotation of evil to it, but it's more literally translated, having to endure an unfortunate fate. It's miserable. And so he goes on to say that the hearts of people, moreover, are full of misery. And this madness or this foolishness in their hearts, and, and, they, and there's madness or foolishness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. <laughs> so he's trying to help us to see that this heaviness of life that we all experience, the weight of living that we all carry at one point or another, drives us as human beings into foolish choices and foolish decisions to try and avoid pain and to try and control our lives and to manage our futures. And in the end, none of us can ultimately escape the final outcome that we're all destined to. And yet, he goes on in verse 4 to say, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> now, this word hope is probably better translated as having certainty. And the commentary that I read said that in order to understand this ancient wisdom saying or this proverb that was obviously around in the teacher's time, we need to understand that this word that's translated hope really has more to do with that anyone among the living can be certain, you can have certainty that as long as you're alive under the sun, you will experience misery and death. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? But the fact, if we really think about it, and where the teacher wants us to go with him on this journey, is that the living know this, and that because they are certain of this, it means they actually know something. Because when you're dead, you know nothing. And so the fact that we know that life is hard and life is difficult and it's not going to be easy means you're alive. And that is worth celebrating because consider the alternative. (laughs) So likely quoting a well-known proverb of his day, he says, it's better to be like a a despised dog that was looked down on in, in that culture that is alive than this kind of revered and majestic lion that isn't. You see, the point of life he's trying to help us to get to, to lead our thinking to, is to live it. Not to worry about tomorrow, but to live your life today. Because once you're dead, you're done. There's no more living to do. You have no more opportunities to find the good life that God has designed for you once the the clock has stopped ticking. That's why he goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love and their hate, their jealousy have all long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. And so again, for the teacher, what we see is him leading us to grasp a hold of this truth, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves about it and to let go of everything else, that life itself is the gift. Life itself is the reward. But when we fail to see that we've already received the gift that we're longing for and appreciate the life that we have, when we spend our time worrying about what's coming tomorrow or what's going to happen in the future, we fail to actually enjoy the gift today. Even though life isn't always fair, as we talked about last week in chapter 8, and can often be filled with misery and toil and difficulty and pain and sorrow and suffering, he wants people not to miss the opportunity to actually appreciate what the gift of life actually is, and to come to this understanding while they still have time to appreciate it. And so in verse 7, he says, go, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Go and find enjoyment in the life that God has given you. That's why God gave you the gift of life, so that you would enjoy it. That's what God wants you to do. In verse eight, he says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. In the Bible, these are outward signs of joy and celebration and worship. Enjoy life with your wife or your spouse whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. And again, we've said throughout this whole series that the word meaningless is probably a less than helpful translation because it's not that life is meaningless. The Hebrew word hebel that's translated meaning is, literally means a mere breath. So it's probably more accurate to read, enjoy life with your spouse whom you love all the days of this amazingly brief life that God has given you. For this is your lot in life, he goes on to say, And in your toilsome labor under the sun, your lot, that's kind of, we don't use the word lot so much anymore, right? It's your share, it's your portion. This is the profit that we've been looking for. It is the gain that we can find in life under the sun. It's the answer to the original question that he started with, what profit can we find? What gain can be found? What reason is there for living life in this world? This is the point of everything you work so hard to achieve. What good is it all for, the teacher asks, if you never take the time to appreciate what you have? And so in verse 10, he says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there neither working or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Whatever your hand finds to do, he says, do it with all your might, right? Doing things with all your might includes the ordinary things of life, the eating, the drinking, the loving, And, and, and in the midst of the noise and the complexity and the prognostications of life in this world that want to turn our attention away from what is to what could be or to what's possible or to what we hope for or what we long for. The teacher says we can't allow this world to distract us from the gift of life that we already have that's staring us right in the face. Revel in the little things, appreciate the miracle of every new sunrise. Don't take love and relationships for granted. Savor the moments with the people you love, challenge yourself to do your very best in everything that you do and see what you can actually accomplish. Enjoy the feeling of satisfaction that comes from doing a job well done, whatever the job may be. Always be ready to share your joy with other people. Stop trying to overthink it. Don't miss the opportunity and the real meaning and purpose of life that, that is staring you right in the face. And it's the gift that God has given you that this is the day that the Lord has made. And He invites us to rejoice, to be joyful and glad and celebrate it. And yeah, life is hard. And yeah, we have to go through some tough stuff. And yeah, people treat us wrong. But consider the alternative. <laughs> Don't miss the opportunity to discover the very meaning and purpose of life. And as you do, the teacher says, don't focus on the lives that other people are living. Learn to live your own life. Learn to enjoy every moment of your life as the gift that God has given you. In verses 11 and 12, he says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped in their evil or miserable times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Right? It's so easy to look at others right? and assume that they have the life that you want. Right? They've got it easy. They've got it all figured out. All the blessings just seem to fall their way. And it's easy for us to begin to think, gosh, if we just had a little bit more money, or if we had just gotten a little bit more education, or if we just had a little better looks or a trimmer physique, or more opportunity or more respect from our friends, or if we had had a better childhood, and if our parents had treated us better, and the list goes on and on, right? If the circumstances of our lives could be different, we'd have it made. We could be like those people that we admire, those people that we want to be like, the people that we think have the life that we wish we had. But the truth, and here's a a modern proverb that we all know is true as well, right? The grass always looks greener, where? On the other side of the fence. And then we can remember that in chapter 4, the teacher has already helped us to identify that in verse 4, he said, All toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. See, the grass the teacher tells us, right where you're standing today, the grass that's growing around your feet, whatever shade of green it might be, it's all you got. That's your grass. That's the the life that you have. That's the gift that God has has given you. The question is, are you going to appreciate it and enjoy it? Or are you going to grumble and complain and wish it was something else and wish it could be different and worry about trying to control and manage what tomorrow is going to be because all the while you miss the ability to experience the joy of living today? Life's outcomes are not predictable Good and bad come to everyone. We might expect the swift to win every race and the strong to win every battle, and that the wise, the brilliant, the learned, and the beautiful would garner all of life's greatest rewards, and we might want some of those rewards for ourselves. But that's not how life actually works, the teacher says. None of these things, even the things that are worth pursuing, none of them will give you the control that you hope for over what happens in your life and what happens tomorrow. In spite of all your hard work and your planning and your commitment, none of us knows what is going to come. Time and chance happen to all of us, he says. Just like we were fish swimming through the, the, the water or birds flying through the air who who could never predict when a when a trap is gonna be set and all of a sudden you know life changes. As human beings, we we find that a series of unfortunate <laughs> accidents can happen to us unexpectedly, out of the blue, that we never could have anticipated. So again, the teacher saying, Don't even try to predict what the future will hold for you. Rather, learn to see and connect with life in the here and the now, trusting in God's wisdom and His care for your life. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's been said that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Ruth Graham, the late wife of Billy Graham, once stated God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong men several times. (laughs) Mark Batterson said, someday we will thank God more for our unanswered prayers than for all of our answered prayers. You see, instead of trying to predict and control the outcomes of our lives, the teacher is advocating that we develop the habit of living with a holy contentment. A holy contentment is what leads to gratitude and thankfulness for the life that we have, not a desire for everything that we don't have. And the ability to live with holy contentment comes, the teacher says, not from the ability to manage and control your life as if you were God, but from the realization that you worship a God who is God. And that he's trustworthy and that he's true and that his genuine desire is to bless you and to make you a blessing to those around you. And that's why he's given you the gift of life in the first place. This is what we see in the culmination of the biblical story and the narrative in the New Testament as well. In Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6, we're encouraged to keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence in verse 6 The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Brothers and sisters, this is the good news that's ultimately revealed in the New Testament, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Not only will God never leave us or forsake us, but because Jesus is alive, there is nothing now that can ever separate us from the love of God, which we have in Jesus, amen? What are you worried about? 1 John 5, 19 to 21 says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to manage it or control it. You don't have to try and predict what's coming so that that you can be smart enough or good enough to to figure out how to make life work. All you have to do is receive it as a gift right now in this moment. Truth be told, we're not Christians because we seek to control our lives, or at least that's not why we should be Christians, right? Right? We're Christians because we've come to the firm conclusion that we cannot control our lives and we cannot save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. We are not and cannot be the gods of our own lives. We're Christians because we realize that there's a God who is. And that God has invited us to put our trust and our faith in him, to receive the forgiveness and the mercy that we just sang is new every morning because we don't have to worry about messing it up. All we have to do is worry about learning from God how to do it well and to enjoy the gift. And so as we seek to follow the teacher's advice, and to do everything we do with all of our might, we also come to recognize that, that we don't need to do it for ourselves. We don't need to do it to try and control life. Our lives are in his hands. And so we can learn to do everything in his power and everything for his glory. And this is what leads to living a life of gratitude and thankfulness rather than a life of striving, even a life of religious striving. Man, some Christians can be so uptight, can't they? Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a statement of freedom, not a statement of obligation. You can live your life for a whole new purpose. You don't have to go chasing after the wind like the rest of the world is doing. God has already given you the gift of life. He's already given you the gift of salvation. You know where your eternity is going to be spent, so start enjoying life now. Because then, what happens is you can begin to be a blessing to those around you. And yet, and yet, and yet, we are a people who love predictions. The problem is no one can predict the future. I mean, look at the war in Ukraine, right? How many prognosticators were on the the, the, the tube talking about how this war was going to be over in just a few days? (laughs) right no one could have predicted that one of the mightiest armies in the world would be thwarted and resisted by a smaller and less resourced neighboring country i mean think about it you could say the same thing about our experience in vietnam all those years ago right who could have predicted that outcome And it's not just the world out there that makes these kinds of predictions. If you go to Wikipedia, you you realize that Wikipedia lists over 40 documented predictions for the second coming of Jesus. And yet the Bible says no one knows. It seems obvious to say that you can't predict the future, and yet, and yet, and yet, as human beings, we're so tempted to think that somehow we can do it or that we should do it. And some of the people we look to, to seem to have it all, the ones that we would vote most likely to see succeed, seem to be the ones who suddenly and unexpectedly crash and burn. You see, the promise of control is seductive, and even as Christians, we fall victim to the enemy's lie that we can be the God of our own lives. That's why it also lies at the heart of much of the marketing and advertising in our culture that constantly bombards us, that tells us that you can have the ability to control your life. It's suggested that all you have to do is buy this product. Eat this kind of food, join this latest trend, undergo this simple procedure. <laughs> See, all the marketing hype is geared toward convincing you that you no longer need to be the victim of your own life, of your own limitations, of your own mortality. You can take control, you can become the god of your life, you can take the, 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 the horse by the reins, right? And you can make your life whatever you want it to be. But we have to realize that the underlying assumption in all of this is that we have the ability to define and shape ourselves and become the people that we think we should be. And so we're constantly urged, in fact, to make and remake ourselves in our own image or in some other image of human perfection that our society tells us to be pursuing. Because the truth is, baby, you deserve it. Right? And along the way, we're given ever-increasing permission to ignore and, if necessary, to discard whatever or whoever gets in the way of our quest at self-fulfillment, be it a life inside the womb, a spouse or children, the elderly, foreigners, or people who simply just take a different viewpoint than we do. See, the reality is we play these games as Christians all the time. Except we just advertise church as the product and the means to give us control of life in this world. If you just believe the right way and you just behave the right way and if you just have the correct social and political notions, Not only does it grant you a means of control over life in this world because God will bless you, right? God will reward you with health and wealth and prosperity because of your zealous faith. But it also lets us rest easy because we now have control over eternal life as well. The idea that we have any control over anything the teacher tells us is a myth and is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, it's true that we live in an ordered universe that that has features of cause and effect because that's how God designed it and that's how God set it up. But none of this eliminates the reality of the sovereignty of the God who made it and designed it under his authority and his will and his power. And he is still reigning supreme and Jesus is sitting on the throne. And yet we think that somehow we can figure it out ourselves. Even with the hope that we have in Christ as Christians, we still have to live in the humility that we live in, the mystery of the times that we live in. And we don't always understand where God is at work and how God is using our experiences to shape us and to mold us and to bless us and to use us for his purposes and not our own. Right, if we're really honest, Jesus himself told his disciples that he didn't even know when the end was gonna come. Matthew 24, 36, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Every time a prediction fails, every time the swift don't win the race, every time the strong don't win the battle, every time your health breaks down, or we find ourselves poorer rather than richer, or we discover that we're miserable rather than happy, each of these moments the teacher tells us is an opportunity for grace. Because it can point us to look at the truth and the reality of life in this world and to remember who it is that controls the times and the seasons in your life and mine. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 says, He, God, made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, it's in this future hope, this reality that we know has been purchased by the blood of Christ that is one day coming, that allows us to live in the mystery and the confusion and the not knowing today. Because God says, I have the future in my hands. You don't need to worry about it. You can just enjoy the gift of life that you have today. Enjoy your wife and your husband. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your your grandkids. Enjoy your friends at church. Live in the moment. Be joyful. Pass on a blessing to those around you. In his hands, everything will work out in the end. We don't need to worry about tomorrow or to try and predict the future. We can instead enjoy every moment and every gift that God has given us. And that's why as we wrap up today, I want to conclude with that that famous and well-known but but often difficult scripture to live out of is Romans 8.28, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Men and women, all things can be used by God because he is a God of resurrection. He is a trash to treasure God that can take anything that this world means for evil and he can turn it for our good. And so we can give up the need to control. We can put our lives in his hands again today and we can trust in him for our future and for tomorrow and the tomorrow after that and the tomorrow after that. And we can go today celebrating, enjoying the gift of life that we have because this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the words of the teacher, his challenge to us to always be willing to look reality square in the eyes, to not pull our punches or to have a Pollyanna attitude towards life in this world or to falsely think that somehow we have the wisdom or the strength or the ability to manage our lives and to create the outcomes that we would long for. God, we recognize that more often than not, we mess it up, we make mistakes, we fall into our old habitual sins over and over again, and so we recognize God again today. We need your mercy and your grace. We need you to be on the throne of our lives again. And so in the grace and the gift that comes from the forgiveness that Jesus offers, God, we thank you and we receive your gift of salvation again today. Help us to live each moment as a moment in eternity, knowing that you are here with us and that through your spirit, we can experience you each and every day and that there's nothing we need to earn or do or manufacture, but we can simply discover the very reason and purpose for life, which is to enjoy our relationship with you and to be a blessing to those around us. Shine your light through our hearts and our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.